A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Let us begin at the beginning, shall we? As the coronavirus continues to haunt the entire planet, killing as it goes and wiping out businesses internationally and indiscriminately without a thought for the human race that it is attacking. There are many voices out there criticising what the government did, when it did it, why it did it and asking if the measures taken were right, disproportionate or just plain wrong. What I can tell you is this. On January the 14th of this year, the World Health Organization issued this tweet. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus identified in Wuhan. So there you have it. Is it any wonder that dozens of countries around the world did not react more quickly to this deadly threat? The very people that are supposed to safeguard our health and prevent dangerous viruses from spreading globally were actually absent and missing in action. And isn't it time we started admitting that the World Health Organization is simply not fit for purpose, not fit for this century, and not honest enough to call out China for its hideous practices when it comes to food and hygiene? And it gets worse, by the way, because only yesterday the Australian Prime Minister was critical of the World Health Organization because they basically said to China, go ahead and reopen your wet markets, just keep them clean. Donald Trump wants to withdraw funding from this ghastly, craven organisation which is in the thrall of the Chinese Communist Party and we should do the same. Once again, the President of the United States has absolutely got it right. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll get the latest from the front line in the fight against COVID-19 and we'll speak to Tory MP Matt Vickers on the government's strategy to lift the lockdown at some point in the future. Most of all, of course, we want to hear from you too. Your experiences, your stories, your opinions and what you're seeing and hearing out there. You are the eyes and ears of the home of common sense right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You know the number, 0344 499 1000. In our homeschool section today, we're going to go back to basics in the kitchen and we're going to learn how to poach an egg with professional chef Barry Vera. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
And as ever, ladies and gentlemen, we will be live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. So get on that. There are growing numbers. The numbers are absolutely immense right now uh, on our YouTube channel. So thank you to everybody who's a new listener and a new viewer. Because, of course, as many people have found during the lockdown, uh, you need things to do. You need things to watch. You need things to listen to. And what better way to spend the morning uh, than by listening to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Let's talk to our good friend Christopher Snowden, Head of Lifestyle Economics at the uh, IEA. Christopher, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. I think it's time, and I'm quite surprised at myself, and I sort of gave myself a verbal slapping this morning, that we haven't had a go at the World Health Organization yet. You know, all these journalists are out there busy having a go at the government, asking them why they didn't do this, why they didn't do that. You know, I've been checking back through um, the tweets and the advice from the, from the WHO, and quite frankly, if they'd got it any more wrong, um, you know, they should all be in prison. Yeah, they've mishandled it terribly. And to be fair, Donald Trump has mishandled it terribly. Mm. Um, and in, in January and February, neither the WHO nor Trump you know, displayed uh, much competence whatsoever. And I think we can be honest about it and say that you know, Trump's motivations for pulling this funding is you know, not, they're not entirely pure. He's not motivated um, purely by a desire to clean up an international agency. He does want to deflect uh, attention from... That may be true, but let's, face it, but, but let's face it, if you're the, the President of, of the United States or indeed the Prime Minister of Great Britain uh, or indeed the, uh, the Prime Minister of any other country, the government of any other country, you're going to be guided by the science. That's what we keep hearing. And if the World Health Organization says, for example, in January, that it doesn't pass from human to human, you're going to think, OK, well, let's not get carried away here. Let's not think that we're all going to go to hell in a handcar. And then after that, uh, they then issue another uh, ridiculous statement in which they basically say that, you know, um, there's no need to overreact to this situation and it really is time. There is no reason for measures that unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade. We call on all countries to implement decisions that are evidence-based and consistent. The World Health Organization stands ready to provide advice to any country that is considering which measures to take. That message timed at 7.48pm January the 30th. So we're already at the end of January, and they're still saying, effectively, no need to lock anything down. Yeah, and they continued saying that for some time. And mm. one of the few things Trump did get right in January, February, was introducing the travel ban on people flying in from China and yeah. Europe. And the WHO criticised that, said it would create fear and stigma. Yeah. They seem obsessed with uh, preventing any kind of fear and stigma, mainly, mm. uh, presumably, towards Chinese people. Uh, I'm not sure that was ever a, a credible problem in the first place. Um, so the only thing Trump got right, the WHO criticised. And the important thing to remember is this is not a sort of one-off failure by the WHO. Most people don't pay a lot of attention to these kind of organisations in normal times. I do. I've been following them for years. I've watched how they behave, their unaccountability, kicking journalists out of conferences, putting out anonymous briefings, highly political material. Yeah. They're obsessed with political correctness. They're obsessed with nanny states trivia, frankly, they need to get back to focusing on their core mission, which is tackling and eradicating infectious diseases. Exactly. And unfortunately, over the last 15 years or so, they've become, they've become very distracted by um, the obsessions of public health campaigners in the West, yeah. while millions of people continue to die of contagious and tropical diseases in developing countries. Yeah, exactly right. Now, it seems to me uh, that the World Health, World Health Organization is a sort of medical equivalent of FIFA. How exactly yeah. is it put together and how exactly is it run? Because it's a kind of secret organization to me as well. Well, yeah, it is, but it's not very transparent and it is uh, unaccountable. 
it has various different divisions, and I think a lot of those need stripping away because, as I say, it needs to be focused entirely on infectious diseases. Um, and countries give it various, you know, hugely varying amounts of money. And mm. the USA is by far its biggest funder. Actually, on a per capita basis, Britain's its biggest funder. Yeah. We're its second biggest you know, member state funder. Uh, and a lot of countries contribute hardly anything. And if you, con- if you combine the contributions of France, Spain, Italy... Finland and Ireland, you get less than 5% of what the USA puts in. So all these people complaining today about what Trump's doing uh, are free riders. And we should remind them that WHO is more than happy to accept donations. If people want to dip their hands in their pocket, they, yeah. can, um, they can help make up some of the shortfall. But there's no reason why the USA should be carrying the, the rest of the world on this. And also, finally, it, there is actually a more targeted agenda here than a lot of people realize. Yeah. It hasn't got much media attention, but a few days ago, the um, U.S. House of Congress wrote a letter to the WHO demanding, essentially it was a freedom of information request, they were demanding to see correspondence between WHO and China and various other bodies. Right. And I think that what Trump's done uh, yesterday is to give that a bit of impetus and make sure that the WHO responds. I think probably in the long run, um, the WHO will get its money from America. But you've got to have a little bit of gumbo diplomacy in these things because the, the WHO will simply not change unless it sees the money drying up. It's incredible, isn't it? And as far as the way it's constituted, I mean, where is it based? Who's in charge of it? You know, how does it pick its kind of officers? Are they health-driven or are they diplomat-driven? And how much money are they all making? Because I can imagine that there's many people in the WHO on six-figure salaries. Yeah, well, it's highly political. Um, The current uh, director-general is uh, Dr Tedros, who's from Ethiopia. He's the first African director-general. And when he took over from Margaret Chan, who was really dreadful... Um, there was there was some hope that because he was from Africa, the, the, the WHO would return to looking and concentrating on infectious diseases in in, in Africa and uh, developing countries. But that really hasn't happened, and he's shown the same kind of obsession with vaping and drinking and sugary drinks as his predecessor did. It's based in Geneva, like a lot of these organisations. It, it's part of the United Nations. Yeah, exactly. And the United Nations is already in very much the thrall of China, very much uh, in the debt of the United States of America. And and in previous times, uh, other presidents other than Donald Trump have refused to give them money. I think it was uh, it was George Bush, I think, that uh, said he was going to withhold funding to the UN. So it's this kind of uh, this cartel of kind of, you know, uselessness that goes on. The United Nations completely useless in stopping wars. The United Nations completely hopeless when it comes to, you know, worldwide uh, pandemics, completely useless when it comes to international refugee crises. You know, how much longer are you going to have to put up with these ridiculously overburdened bodies uh, who have got too many people working for them, who don't even pay their parking tickets because they think they're diplomats, uh, who can get away with raping women in New York City and not being prosecuted for it? I mean, I'm really getting fed up with these people. Yeah, and the UN special rapporteurs who pop yeah. over to Britain every now and again. Oh, yeah, and tell us that we're, we're a third we're one of the and, poor, and, poorest countries in yeah, the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm literally sick to death of these bozos. Yeah, and this is why I think that reform in practice is probably pretty unlikely, even if there was a will to do it. I think, unfortunately, you've got to kind of start again with some of these organisations. Um, they, they all start off with the best of intentions, and the WHO has done some fantastic work over the years. And uh, we should be very clear about that, you know, eradicating smallpox and so on. But it seems to be the case with these kind of institutions that 
partly because they, they lack democracy and transparency, they just become more and more political and move further and further away from their original agenda. I see no real reason, once this is all over, why a, um, a kind of rival organization to the WHO couldn't be set up. Um, if America starts putting money into something, you know, something fresh and new that's focusing entirely on infectious diseases and other countries start putting money in there, WHO can carry on going on about, you know, what, what the correct words to use for different flus and complaining about people vaping while this other organization can get on with saving lives. Yeah, exactly right. So as far as the, uh, the Trump promise to, to not give them any money, I mean, presumably if he stops giving them money, um, they will continue for a while. But what will they actually do? Well, they, they would continue to do you know, what they're doing at the moment, which is handling the occasional pandemic rather badly and spending a huge amount of time complaining about what they call non-communicable diseases mm. and uh, you know, campaigning for sugar taxes and you know, advertising bans on vaping or indeed total bans on vaping. Yeah. It's a nanny state stuff is the reason I've been following so much over the last uh, 10 years and they're obsessed with it um, in a different way as I am. Yes. Aren't they the same guys that have come up with this ludicrous uh, figure of 40,000 people dying every year from um, pollution in London? Yeah, I think that was there. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I would think so. One of the issues with the WHO when it comes to research is that so much of it's anonymous. You know, when I talk about lack of transparency, it goes right, right all the way up to the research documents. Yeah. You don't even know really who's working for them or who's writing their material. Yeah, it's really quite extraordinary, isn't it? That, that you know, one of the things that I think will be good and may come out of uh, this coronavirus nonsense and ghastliness is that we've learned an awful lot more about an awful lot of organisations, an awful lot of people, an awful lot of politicians, and the way that the, the world actually works that we kind of never thought about before. But because we've now got the time to look at everything, we're actually beginning to realise there's quite a lot of things wrong with the way the world works. Yes, uh, it is a sort of silver lining, if you like. I've been trying for several years to get people interested in WHO because yeah. I, I do think it's very similar to FIFA, actually. Yes. And it took a long time for the truth to come out about FIFA. Mm. And if you want to use a sort of footballing analogy, you know, when all that stuff came out about, uh, about FIFA a few years ago, and it was beyond dispute yes. that Russia and Qatar had basically stolen those World Cups, there was a window of time in which if the Premier League and La Liga had refused to let their players out, if Brazil and Argentina had said, we're not going to go to these World Cups, mm. then the whole thing would have fallen apart. Right. And FIFA would have been replaced by a new and um, clean agency um, that could put on the same events uh, just as well, but without the corruption. Yes. That window of opportunity was, was, not, you know, was not grasped. And that's why I think, although people are complaining about Donald Trump doing it now and saying it's the worst possible time in the middle of the pandemic, and so on. The reality is this pandemic will eventually end. Yes. And people will go back to ignoring organisations. Yeah, like the and also, and also I, mean, so, I mean, if the World Health Organisation ceased to exist right now at 10.19.05 uh, on Wednesday, April the 15th, would anybody actually notice? I don't know what they do. It's not like they're stopping the coronavirus from spreading. It's not like they're giving aid and succour to any particular country. You know, they're just talking. Well, to be fair, in Africa and some of the poor countries, they are actually doing some frontline work. And it's a, it's a poor countries like that that do need um, the help of the WHO and do need, you know, foreign aid and so on. The question is whether the WHO is best placed to do that, whether the amount of money that we give them is being mm. 
properly used and we can get more bang for a buck if it was somebody else doing it. Yeah, but I mean, perversely, some of the countries that are going to end up being worst hit are those very countries because you probably seen, have seen, as, as same as I have, places like India where there's millions of poor people, places in Africa where there's millions of poor people who are not just living very close to each other but who are also quite suspicious of any kind of, um, you know, officialdom and who are not willing to do the social distancing that we're all doing, you know, they are going to be wiped out if they continue to operate like that. And so what the hell is the World Health Organization doing for them? It's a huge um, you know, worry, obviously, that this disease is just going to go through places like um, India and Asia, yeah. um, you know, like a dose of salt. Right. Um, touch wood, it hasn't happened yet, actually, and it's been remarkable how, how slow the progress of the disease has been mm. in these areas, and we can only hope that it continues for yes. whatever reason. Absolutely. Christopher, thank you very much indeed. Christopher Snowden there, Head of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. I'm sick to death of the World Health Organization. I don't think they do anything uh, that is worth a fag end. If somebody can tell me that what they do is of any use to man or beast, then I'd be more than happy to hear from you. But as far as I can see, it is just another quango. It is just another world global organization fitted up uh, by those planks at the United Nations who are also useless uh, and who do nothing for the good of the common man and the common woman in in this world. I think we should stop funding them right now. I think Donald Trump is entirely correct. And I also think that the US Attorney's Office should do exactly what they did with FIFA and start investigating these criminals at the World Health Organization and start arresting them in Switzerland or wherever the hell they hang out and start locking them up because they are a bigger danger than the coronavirus. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Here on Talk Radio, we have teamed up with the Malta Tourism Authority to say thank you to our NHS heroes, to all those working tirelessly on the front line, risking their own safety to ensure that they can provide the best possible care to everyone in need. We want to reward them when the time is right with an incredible trip for two to the stunning Maltese Islands. We need you to nominate your NHS hero and one lucky winner will be able to take up their well-deserved rest with a luxurious three-night break to Malta. There they can enjoy the crystal clear waters, explore the historical sites and discover the island's culture. So if you know a National Health Service doctor, nurse, healthcare worker or support staff who are doing amazing work at this time, uh, we really do want to hear it. Head online <clears throat> to the Talk Radio competitions page at talkradio.co.uk forward slash competitions and get your nominations in now. What better way to say thank you uh, to the wonderful people who work in the NHS? And I don't just mean the doctors and the nurses. Think about the cleaners. Think about the admin staff. Think about the people who do uh, all the filing. Think about all the people who are at reception. I walk past Guy's Hospital here every single day as I come to work and I see the cancer centre there and there are people standing at the door making sure that the poor people who are having to go in to be treated for cancer or to be seen by doctors are standing far enough away from one another. You know, and, and there are so many people, ambulance drivers, drivers of private ambulances, even cab drivers who are bringing people to and from hospital. All of these people, I think, have to be recognised. And uh, no doubt we will recognise them again on Thursday night. But let's not just think about the frontline uh, doctors and nurses. There's an awful lot of other people involved as well. Let's talk now, though, to Professor Carol Sikora, a good friend of the show, former chief of the Cancer Programme at the World Health Organisation and dean of medicine at the University of Buckingham. Carol, very good morning to you. And to you, Mike. I've been on a bit of a rant this morning, I have to confess, about the World <laughs> Health Organization because I'm sick to death of reading some of the tweets that they sent out early part of this year in which not only did they say that they were satisfied that um, the, the COVID-19 virus would not be spread human to human, but that they also said and recommended that governments did not take any rash action, actions as, as late as January the 30th. 
I know, I know. I, I worked for the WHO. I ran the cancer program there yeah. for a couple of years on secondment. Right. This is about 15 years what ago. What can you tell us about them? It, it's, it's a mighty bureaucracy. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it's very political. It's very diplomatic. You get CD number plates. I could park on double yellow yeah. when I got home. Well, this know, is what used CD. to annoy me about the UN. When I lived in New York, right, the yeah. UN had an, out, an outrunning sort of bill, technically speaking, of millions and millions of dollars um, because they just didn't ever bother to pay their parking fees. No. Uh, and they didn't pay their speeding tickets. And there was one case where a guy was accused of rape um, and he was allowed to disappear from the country with diplomatic immunity, uh, despite the fact that he was committed <laughs> of serious criminal offence. I got a great thrill. I got a speeding ticket in Geneva with a note saying, we notice your CD plates and therefore we are warning you, please do not do this. Please do That's not. nice. Very, very polite in French. Yes. Thought, very nice. I, I mean, I, I've decided they are the FIFA of the medical world. <laughs> which I think is entirely accurate. No, the, the problem with the WHO is it does a lot of good work, and that's the thing. There's a lot of good people in it, and uh, the management's a bit top-heavy. It's very bureaucratic. Mm. Every letter I used to write was translated into six languages. Right. Why those languages were chosen, I don't know. They were the common languages of the world. Right. But more importantly... Um, you know, for cancer, which is my specialty, you have to have money to do get radiotherapy, chemotherapy, mm. all the things. And if you have no money, like you're in sub-Saharan Africa, the WHO really can't help you much. It can help prioritise. Now, over, I always thought it was fantastic on infection. Um, smallpox, yellow mm. fever, yeah. Ebola, Lassa fever, these are the big infections. TB, HIV. Uh, but it really, this time, it has let us down. But this is not the time for Trump to say, I'm not paying my subs. And it's 400 million, it's the biggest single contributor to the WHO funds. Let's get out of this and then have an analysis. Let's yes. keep the WHO. Fire all the management if necessary, but let's keep it as an organisation. Well, as I said earlier, you know, we all saw how the FIFA thing ended up. We basically had uh, the US Attorney's Office in New York investigating it, and they found in the end that there was quite a lot of corruption at the heart of FIFA, and they actually had a lot of people arrested, and some of them went on trial. So maybe that's the route we have to go down in order to, to sort of clean it out root and branch. I think so. And what amazed me, every country has a WHO representative. Yeah. And if you go to poor countries, the salary they get is the Geneva-based salary. So it's yeah. like 10 times what you'd get in, uh, in Sierra Leone, for example. Right. Uh, and, and yet uh, it's the brother-in-law the brother -in -law, the Minister of Health or something. Yes. Why, why have you got this job? Yeah, right. It's absolutely <laughs> disgraceful, isn't it? Let's, it's, it's nepotism. Yes, let's talk about uh, today's developments. I see that you've tweeted out about the antibody kits. Yeah. Tell us about that. So the antibody test is complicated. There are kits available. The kits actually work. What we showed yesterday where the kits do work, but the timing is critical. You make the antibody response about four weeks after you recover from the virus. And, you know, a lot of people have had no symptoms, yet they've had the infection. So we're doing all our stuff. We run a, a, a series of four cancer centers with radiotherapy, chemotherapy, and proton therapy. And what I'm doing is getting all the staff tested with their consent. Yesterday, we tested the samples in a lab in London, and now we're just using the kits. We validated the kits, which is great. In other words, the kits work. And they're cheap, they're easy to use. You get the result in 15 minutes. The problem is... They're not quite simple enough for self-administration. The idea you can order one for five quid from Amazon, nice idea, 
but you know you easily make mistakes in opening it, reading it, putting the buffer in you know it, it, health professional would have no trouble once you 've done one or two, you can do as many as you like right but I think it really is going to have to be done with some sort of health professional doing it with you. Healthcare yes. assistant would be fine. Train healthcare assistant okay. to read it and then photograph it because nice mobile phone photographs everything. Mm. And then you've got a valid valid test. Right. Now, we seem to be talking at the moment, looking at Spain and looking at Austria, looking at Denmark, perhaps specifically, um, that in those countries they're seeing a falling off of the numbers, that the numbers are finally going down on a daily basis in terms of deaths and in terms of infections. And looking at the government briefing yesterday, we seem to be travelling in that same direction, uh, only slightly behind. Exactly. We're two weeks behind. Yeah. And that, it's uh, the natural flow of a pandemic through a country. We're two weeks behind the countries that yesterday, yesterday morning, came out of total lockdown. Yeah. Their lockdown was more rigid than ours, though. I mean, you know, I was in the lab in Meesden driving around the North Circular. It was traffic jam. I know. <laughs> well, I can't believe that, you know, when I, I said this uh, as I was driving in on Friday, Good Friday, um, it was very quiet on the roads, as, as yeah. it was on, on Easter Monday. I said, if all these workers are so essential, why are they not working bank holiday? Because it all came back to traffic jams again uh, yesterday. Yeah, uh, I was totally taken aback, but never mind. Yeah. But so, um, as far as their kind of um, uh, sort of way out of the problem is concerned... Yeah. In terms of the spread, again, of, of, it, of, it, of it making itself available, I suppose, I mean, how do they know that if they start, as they start to lift the restrictions, that there won't be suddenly another, another sort of surge, if you know so, what I mean? So they'll monitor for it very closely, and that's the information we can use. So if we're two weeks behind them, that puts us roughly 27th of April. That's the time to be looking at it. Now, our government's being very cautious. The statements from the committee, the committee meets today and tomorrow. This is a scientific advisory group on emergencies called SAGE, and there will be meeting now, maybe, and uh, they, they won't want to give false hope. This is how governments behave. And so they're going to say, well, we'll see what the figures look like next week and make a decision next week. And maybe Boris will come back next week and announce that we can uh, start liberating them. It won't be a fast liberating. Yeah. There won't be dancing in the streets, the lights in Piccadilly going on, you know, like the end of the war, D-Day. I'm not D-Day, V-Day. Uh, it won't be like that. It'll no, we won't be kissing really... strangers in the street, will we? Yeah, no, it'll be... It's still keep the social distancing. Let's open small shops, garden centres, shops with less than 50 people working in them. And we kept the supermarkets open. And amazing, the food deliveries. I mean, you know, amazing, the food chain has not... I know people grumble, and all these pictures of people buying toilet rolls, but the food chain has not let us down. These it really hasn't. Work. I mean, I, I, I was in uh, my local sort of uh, small supermarket the other day, uh, and they had plenty of toilet roll. You know, things are starting to come back. There are still strangely uh, things missing, like it's still quite hard to get pasta, bizarrely. And well, I, I love baked beans. I couldn't get any this week. And really? All I got was tins with sausages in them. I don't want that. I want a proper <laughs> tin of beans. You know? OK, all right. Well, we'll see what we can do. And as far as the, 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 some other interesting things that have happened, South Korea, for example, we're being told that uh, some people who they thought had tested positive for coronavirus and then spent the relative period to, to, to let it get away, they seem to be testing positive a second time. But they're suggesting that it might be their testing process that's, that's messed up. Yes. I mean, there are two types of tests. Everyone gets confused, including the politicians. One is for the virus, and that's a, a genetic test for the viral RNA. That's the, 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 
the code of life for the virus. Yeah. That's one thing. And it can be done from a nose swab or from the back of the throat. And the pictures in Chessington of the NHS staff being tested, that's what they're having done. The second is a finger prick test with a kit to look for antibody. And the antigen test, as it's called, the vi- testing for the virus, is complex, it's expensive, has to be done in a lab. And, it, and it, you don't get the result for 24 to 48 hours. So it's cumbersome. Mm. We need something quick and dirty. Right. And what in Korea, they've been using both, um, both the antigen and the antibody test. So they've got a huge amount of information. And it's all available. It's all published in journals now. We can read it. Mm. Um, Koreans are much more disciplined, I guess, than we are. And, yes. Uh, uh, they've got a health service that's not working at full capacity, unlike the NHS, as it was before we started. So, no. Uh, they're able to have a bit more of a, a leisurely pace to it. They've dealt with it really well, and they're over. If you look at the figures, it's over. What happens, of course, in these countries, you get migrant workers that come home, and they bring the disease back. So you still get new cases, but they're not in the indigenous, popul- indigenous population. Mm. They're workers coming home, as in Singapore, as in China. There's a land border with Russia, and the people are just walking across it, coming back, and they're infected. And so the Chinese cases go up a bit. But on the whole, China's okay now. Yes. Everyone's nervous. Well, we, we, we're told that they're OK, but trouble is we don't believe a word that China says. I mean, the only people that believe what China says appear to be the World Health Organisation, <laughs> I'm afraid. But uh, <laughs> Professor Carol Sakura, thank you very much indeed, former chief of the cancer programme at the World Health Organisation. I think he's going along with me, basically, in saying, look, there are some good things that they do. I don't think that ameliorates the bad things that they do, and they are definitely the FIFA of the medical world. This is Talk Radio. 
take up that hobby that they've never got around to and that book off the shelf that they're now reading. You know, there are positives in it. Yes. Uh, we just got to keep looking at the positives. I mean, um, it's been a remarkable sort of six months for you, isn't it? Because, you know, you know, six months ago you weren't an MP, then you suddenly got elected uh, in December and then you suddenly joined the first new parliament of the year and then suddenly everything got shut down. Yeah, I think we go back to the Brexit debate now any day, wouldn't we? We'd prefer that to this, yes. I think. Um, we're all sick of watching the news and hearing about Brexit, now we're sick of hearing about coronavirus. Yeah, exactly um, right. How's, how is it, if, I presume you're in your constituency uh, now at the moment, because obviously... I am, I am. The volume of emails is absolutely huge. Yeah. People have got questions about all sorts of things, and I mean the, the big important questions are people who are trying to run businesses um, and get through a crisis that means they can't go to work, or they can't work as they've always worked, and they're dealing with their supply is not open, and they're, you know, all, all of that it's huge and there's so many different variations of how people run businesses, the field that they're in and how you make all of that stack up. And I think actually the response from the government has been, has been impressive. The speed at which they've delivered the packages they have, it was impressive. Mm. Um, you are never going to be able to see, solve everybody's problems overnight. But I think they've made a very good fist of it in the first instance. Yes, no, uh, I agree, I agree I with that. And I, genuinely, I've said that uh, all along because the speed at which the, the, the civil service normally operates at has literally been turbocharged to the point where yeah. we've done more in the last two months than normally would happen in two years, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think government's response has been amazing. The community response has been absolutely amazing. During this crisis, we have seen the worst of people and we've seen the very best of people. We just heard the story there about someone coughing and bitting at police officers, we've seen about people stockpiling, we've heard about these absolute scumbags who were taking the opportunity to scam old people yeah. with online messages and text messages and all that above. We've seen the very worst of a small minority of people. We've actually seen the best of, of the rest of society has jumped into action, doing its bit. Yes. Um, in my part of the world, well, this morning we've been down packing food parcels with this gang of volunteers who are in there every day packing stuff up to send it out to people who can't get out of the house. It's amazing to see, absolutely amazing to see. You've got people who do all sorts of things on a day-to-day -day basis who are now getting involved in that effort. Mm. Um, we see, I mean, we've got some, some groups in my part of the world. We've got this uh, group called Little Sprouts. They normally do sort of groups for the elderly to go and eat. They help people with cooking. They did the, and now they are, they are a food distribution operation. Anita and Cheryl doing an amazing job uh, begging Sainsbury's for food, but Sainsbury's... Absolutely right. I mean, I, per I mean, I personally know people who are volunteering because they're on furlough from whatever job they normally yep. would do, and they're actually, you know, partly probably because they need to maintain their sanity and do something. But they're volunteering to do stuff with the NHS, and they're waiting for a call up to do this, that, and the other. So it's a remarkable effort, really. It's the unsung heroes, isn't it? These people who do these amazing. I mean, we've got a project in mind. I don't think they describe themselves as food but they are. A food. You know, they, they help people get access to food, vulnerable people. Uh, Lady who runs the she goes to work every day, does her work, comes home, does that. On a Saturday morning when we normally, you know, other people might go to the park and do the shopping. Mm. She goes around all the supermarkets collecting up the food collection to take back to the food. But, you know, these people just go all out, do the business. Right. Um, and it's impressive. It's very impressive. Absolutely. And as far as what we're hearing about this sort of virtual parliament idea, um, we're, we're under the impression there might be something moving on that later on this month. Is that your understanding? I think so. We, we would be scheduled to go back on Tuesday coming. Right. Um, we're still waiting for confirmation of where, what exactly that's going to look like. Um, but I always find these telephone conferences things are, are a bit odd, actually, aren't they? You've got people checking in and out. When you're here, you get, who's here? Can we check who's on the call? It's, uh, technology is, is great, and it's letting us speak to people we might not speak to otherwise and see people we might not see otherwise. 
I don't know whether it replaces the real deal, but it's going to have to. Well, I mean, it's one thing to FaceTime, you know, your 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 relatives far away in different countries, but it's entirely yeah. another thing to have maybe 200, 200 MPs all yeah. on the same screen. I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I can't even imagine. I, I did a house party last night uh, because it was somebody's birthday. And there was, well, you're going to have to add me, Mike. You're uh, going to have to add me if you're on house party. Well, like, well, you, well, do you want to you 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 have, have a house party with me? You sure Yeah, yeah we'll do house party. It's fantastic. All right, OK. Well, this was, a, this was a family thing, so... I'm not inviting you to that because nobody All would right. know who you were. They'd be like, who's this bloke? You know. <laughs> but we we had, you know, my son in Dubai, my kids in Sussex, my other daughter who's... Uh, sorry, my, my daughter's in Dubai, my son in uh, Los Angeles, and um, uh, my sister in Connecticut. It was great. But actually, it's one of those things, when you start it, it's kind of mad and everybody's talking at the same time. But we ended up leaving it on for a while, and we actually ended up chatting as if we were all sitting in the same room, which was great. But I, but again, yeah. I can't see how you could manage that for an actual parliamentary session. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen in select committees, haven't we, people checking in and then they're yeah. going to check uh, what they're wearing and what they're stood in front of. And right. uh, yeah, I think They'll find a solution. I'm confident they will find a solution. Yes. And a way to make parliament operate scrutinise the government and did de de deliver that safely. Yes. Uh, now, the one story that seems to be bothering people today, which has come out uh, as a result of a, a story, I think, in the Mail Online, is that we're being told there's a plane load of people coming in to do some fruit picking in this country from Romania. And a lot of people are going, well, why is that happening? Why haven't we employed local people to do it? Uh, the, the answer, presumably, or the answer that is being given is that they didn't get enough recruits in this country uh, from the various ranks of the unemployed to do it. Um, but it does seem a bit unusual, given that we are supposedly in lockdown. I must admit, I've not heard the story, but I've, heard, I've had lots of correspondence, actually, about people talking about people coming into the country. Yeah. Uh, when people come into the country, they're usually going... In, well, they are going into this 14-day isolation. They're out of the way for 14 days, and that's... You know, there are processes in place. There is constraints in place. There are things in place to try to control such situations. Yes. Um, but it'd be disappointing if we can't get the people from the UK to do this. Well, that's a bit I'm, sure, I'm sure if, if we communicate with the right people, they will, because everybody around here... Working very hard. And yeah, no, I, no, I, no, I totally get that. But apparently, no, this is apparently a chartered plane because the the, the farmers of this country who need the fruit picked because it's a very time sensitive job. Because if you leave it on on the on sort of growing too long, it goes rotten. Uh, they can't. They literally need to get people in, and they have right. to import people in. Apparently, uh, and so you know they're quite happy about it. But it's just, it just, you know, it just seems a bit strange. Yeah, it's a bizarre. Uh... But then again, they wouldn't write about it if it, if it, unless there was something strange about it. Would to these newspapers, you know? <laughs> yeah, I must admit. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 in a reasonable manner. Yeah, I mean, you like me might be slightly uh, frustrated at these uh, daily briefings. I mean, I always look forward to the daily briefings because I quite like to get the information that's being given out. But the, some of the questioning is quite oh, frankly pathetic, um, yeah. just pathetic. Yeah, exactly. And it's repetitive. It's the same thing over and over and over again, isn't it? All the time. Mm. Um, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. So, so as far as the government's handling of things goes, I mean, it seems to me that they're going to be coming up to um, the end of this week. They're about, they're about to make an announcement, I think, tomorrow on officially how much longer the lockdown goes for. I'm assuming that they will probably say, which is what they said kind of un, un, unofficially last week, that it's going to be at least another three weeks. My assumption would be that that's correct. Um, I think, I mean, for all we... Find it. You and I might find this situation very grim because we we can't go where we might want to go. And our work's restricted, and we can't go to the pub. Actually, the people who are suffering are the, the the people who are on their own, trapped out there, isn't it? It's about community solutions to to, to tackle the real problem of you know Mrs. Jones around the corner who lives in a bungalow and is trapped on her own. They're the people who have the real consequence of extensions to these things, and they're the people that we 
we need to get the solutions to because she doesn't have house party. Right. She's 82 and she doesn't have house party. Yeah, well, I mean, my mother's 96 and we did it for her birthday and she was very confused by the whole, she scenario, used it? All the whole right. scenario. But, you know, but well, she didn't use it. She was sort of on it because she was with my right. sister. But she couldn't... Oh, right. she, she, I mean, there was too many people talking at the same time, so it was a little bit Isn't confusing it? for her. That is something along the lines of... 30, is it 35% of those over 70 do not have access to social media? So no. they miss They miss all of the information because you... You don't find out about the local support available unless you go on Facebook. Right. Unless, you know, because you, you're not accessing it now by the council or whatever. You're, you're accessing it via social media. So you're trying to get the things through to those very isolated people who are on their own, who don't have their daughter to, to be by their side or whatever. Yes. Uh, and I think that's, the, that's a big challenge for society. That's a big challenge for us in our community. Um, and I'm impressed by what's happening in my community to try and solve it. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, as far as the next step as, uh, is concerned, you know, what we're seeing in Spain is them opening up sort of non-essential shops, clothes shops, um, you know, kind of maybe furniture shops, that kind of thing. Is that the, Do you think that's the way we will go? Or do you see us doing something slightly different? I, th I think, I mean, whatever happens, there is going to be a gradual unlocking. But I think, I mean, you've heard Kia Starmer asking for the exit strategy you can't talk about the exit strategy until you get through the mess. Well, I'd like, um, to, know, I'd like, to, know, you know, I'd like to know what his exit strategy is because he's not going to be any more successful than uh, than Jeremy Corbyn was, I'm afraid. <laughs> I think that, I mean, <laughs> I think it's too early to tell the exit strategy. I think it will be a gradual unknocking of, of non-essential shops and things, but to try and get the government to give you a timeline on that, I think it's just it's just mad, isn't it, when these yeah. people are trying to get in it? Uh, yeah, well, that's 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 the way it is. Now, Matt, um, I'm going to let you go because we have a very curious and unusual quirk of the system here where at 12.18 precisely, uh, usually our phone box software cuts you off. So oh, right. I was very worried I would be in Builder's Plank of the Week no. early when you were doing all the intros. I was like, it's Plank of the Week? Oh, it's no, no, uh, yeah. no. But, I mean, you know, you may get there someday. You never know. Yeah. Much, you know, just don't do anything stupid is my advice to you. Matt, thanks very much indeed. Matt Vickers, a Conservative MP for Stockton South. It is 12.17 uh, and 30 seconds, roughly. Uh, so I'm getting out of here. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Ian Collins coming in at one o'clock. Dan Wooten back, of course, at four. Uh, and we'll bring you all uh, of the latest news from the government briefing, uh, which goes on around about five o'clock every single day. We carry that live here on Talk Radio because we are your information station. Uh, we are the people that bring you not only uh, the news, but also a common sense approach to the news. We don't uh, shove things down your throat. We don't tell you that the government's doing terrible, awful things. We actually just get information and we pass it on. We've got opinions. There's nothing wrong with that. And we want to hear your opinions as well. Right now, of course, it's the homeschooling time uh, on this show because every day after the news at 12.30, uh, we get somebody who is a very fascinating character to talk to us about how it is that they do what they do. We've had Carol Vorderman on talking about maths. We've had a painter and decorator on yesterday talking about how to paint a room. And it's been a fascinating uh, sort of study, really, and just different bits of information that we can learn from. And as you're, if you're a parent now, you need to get your kids wrapped around the radio uh, and have a listen to this, because we're going to talk to celebrity chef Barry Vera, because he's going to tell us how to poach an egg. Barry, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, how are you? I'm very well indeed, Barry. Do you know, I mean, I don't know whether you know I've started this foodie podcast, which I'm just cooking my own stuff in the kitchen and just doing kind of no-nonsense, very straightforward, here's how to do things, here's how to make mashed potatoes. I've never actually poached an egg. No, really? I've just never done it. I don't know why. I mean, I can't explain why I've never done it, but I've just never done it. I think people sometimes find it a bit of a fear factor of poaching an egg. They'll scramble, they'll fry... But poaching, it's a bit scary, especially in a, if you just do it 
as you're supposed to do it in a pan of water. I mean, there were the old, my mum had one, um, you know, one of the old poaching pans where you just crack the eggs into these little cups that sat over some water and you yes. place them in those. But right. yeah, to do it properly, it can be a bit daunting. Yes, because I mean, I, I, I quite like eating them, but it tends to be usually when I'm having breakfast in a hotel or something and I'm having kippers yes. and I'll have kippers with a sort of poached egg and it's like the kind of thing that I don't really have at home, you know, it's a sort of, um, yeah. it's a bit like sort of Eggs Benedict, you know, you wouldn't make it at yeah, home. Yeah. But, but so tell us the uh, the basics then. Well, I mean, first off, fresh eggs. Always try and make sure you've got fresh eggs. I know we, we normally buy eggs each week when we do a shot, but yeah. fresh eggs is important. Um, a, a good um, big pan of simmering water. Now, not boiling water, right. um, because it's going to go all over. So you just, if you look at the water, it's almost just moving, but it's not um, bubbling away. Right. Um, pinch of salt and a teaspoon of white wine vinegar. Okay. Or a white vinegar of sorts. Right. Um, then... Crack your eggs into a cup or a little dish of, of sorts because the idea is if you're cracking it out of the shell straight into the water, the, it can just splash. It can obviously catch on the eggshell and break the yolk and everything right, else. Right. But as you crack it in, and then um, the idea is once you've got your however many eggs you want um, into your cups, is you stir the water so you create a little bit of a whirlpool going on in the middle. Right. And then drop the egg into the middle of that whirlpool and what it will do is it starts to spin slowly it wraps the egg white around the yolk, protects oh, the yolk okay. and that's what creates that round effect that um that you see when you have it in a restaurant or oh. a hotel okay um, so you actually so you're pouring it basically out of the cup that you've put it in yes that's right Just, okay yeah, so pour it out of the cup into the water that you've stirred you've created a little bit of a whirlpool now if the water's still spinning which it, it should be if you've given it a, a good spin you can drop you know a couple of eggs in, maybe three eggs, depending on how um, how experienced you might be in poaching an egg. Yeah. It, it's all practice, but do one, and then you can take it out and then put another one in. But right. ideally, you get two eggs in there at that point. And do you put them both in the middle then, or do you put the second yeah. one sort of further out? No, no, both in the middle, because as it drops into the water, it will push it outwards, okay. the, the spin of the water. So as you drop the other egg in, it will do exactly the same process. Right. Now, when we, when we do this in hotels and restaurants, I mean, we've got much bigger pads, and we might have a dozen to 20 eggs going in at a time. Yes. And we all then pull out the ones that, you know, are great. Now, you just leave that, cook for about four minutes. Four minutes will give you a nice, just... Um, the white cooked on the outside with a soft yolk. Yes. The soft yolk. Up to five minutes, obviously, for a hard yolk. Right. Okay. And then with a, a slotted spoon, carefully lift the egg out. Yes. And just place it onto some kitchen paper to take off all the excess water. Mm. And then the trick, of obviously, in hotels, you see them perfectly cut. We just trim off the raggedy edges right. um, with a knife or a pair of scissors. And then you just place that on your toast, maybe with your, whether you're doing a hollandaise sauce, a drizzle of olive oil, a little bit of sea salt and some pepper. Mm. And that's your poached egg ready. How do you get now, it from, the, from, the, t from the, the paper towel to the toast? You can either just use a dessert spoon, just carefully roll it onto the dessert spoon and lift it off. Okay. Or if you do have, if you're cooking a lot, you get what we call chefy fingers where you can create, you can cope with the heat. <laughs> you can literally just lift it off yeah. and, and move it over. Another trick that if you've got friends coming over on the weekend, let's say you can have breakfast for, yeah. you know, you decide, or a brunch, um, you can cook the eggs the day before. Really? But only, but only cook them for three minutes. Okay. And it'll be, be soft. And then you just, same process, put them onto some kitchen paper, just trim the edges, yeah. and then just put them into some cold water and you just keep them in the fridge overnight. Right. 
And then the next morning, again, same process, heat up some water without the vinegar, though, um, and just slow simmering. And then just with a slotted spoon, just lower the eggs into the um, slowly simmering water for right. one minute. And then, again, same process, take them out onto some kitchen paper to dry them, okay. clean them and then put them on. So you don't put them in a pot into, into the, in, that you could reuse in the, in, in the fridge? No. No, okay. no, you just put them into a container, into right. a bowl or a Tupperware container right. in cold water, and then you just lift them out of that cold water straight into your simmering uh, water the next day okay. whenever you're going to use them. All right. And as far as the simmering water goes, and I know you might say this is a very stupid question, but are you talking about boiling water and then simmering it, or do you simmer it and don't let it boil? No, either or. When it comes to something like this, it doesn't matter. You can bring it up to the boil yeah. and then just turn it down so you can just get that um, effective. It's just rolling. There's no bubbles. Right. You can see the water moving around. So mm. either way, whether you want to bring it up to simmer or you boil it and then reduce it to simmer, it's up to you. OK. And for those of us who are a bit sort of on the poche side, you know uh, in Waitrose you can buy those uh, sets of eggs where it starts with a with a small, like a quail's egg, and then yes. it goes all the way up to a quite large... Yeah. Um, I don't know what the biggest one is, actually. I can't remember if it's an ostrich egg or something. It, but it is an ostrich egg. I think egg, it yeah. is an ostrich egg. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I bought one of those once, and it was quite a weird experience. But, I mean, presumably you can poach any kind of egg, right? You can. I've, I've never poached an ostrich egg. I've scrambled ostrich eggs. Oh, but right. you, you can, yeah, you can poach any egg you want. I mean, we've poached quail's eggs, you know, to go with canapes in, you know, in hotels and restaurants I've run before. Um, it's entirely up to you, really. Every, everything that you can do with any egg, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant of the size. You've just yeah. got to... Uh, Maybe that's a challenge. Maybe I have to get an ostrich egg one day and poach that. <laughs> Maybe you should. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I mean, now I've got now I've got an opportunity to ask you. You're probably going to now sort of shoot me down in flames because I've done today just on a Wednesday. I try and put out something basic that people probably right. know what to do. Last week I did mashed potatoes. This week I did scrambled eggs, uh, and I and I said I put a bit of milk in it, and people are like, yeah, I put milk in scrambled eggs. You can't do that. I, you're going to tell me they're right, aren't you? No. Well. Actually, I grew up, I'm a Yorkshire lad, so, you know, my mum always put milk in. Um, Top man. And, and I do. Now, in restaurants, obviously, we, we will use cream and butter, obviously, to make it quite rich. Yes. But, yeah, there's nothing wrong with putting milk in. Yeah, Thank it, you. It, it stops it from going so dry as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I do it. And also, it kind of, it, it, it gives you, it gives it, it gives it a little, it goes a little bit further, if you know what I mean. It does, and I, absolutely, yeah. It stretches it, you know, if you've got a couple of eggs, it does that a little bit further. And it is, it just calms the cooking process down as well, because... But it's like, as I say, waiting for the water to boil. You know, you, you're stirring, stirring it. It doesn't do anything. You walk away for a minute. Come yeah. back, it's all overcooked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sod's law, as they say. Brilliant. Barry, thank you so much for helping us out there. Barry Vera, uh, celebrity chef there, former hotel chef as well. A man who has given me his seal of approval... Yes, you do put milk in scrambled eggs. Are all you numpties out there on MG's Kitchen telling me not to put milk in it? I've just been told I can. So there, this is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.